As Doug said, we're, uh, we're closing out our three-part series on what uh, typically gets called the prodigal son. Although, as we've seen, that's a really, that's a poor, poor name for this text. Um, if you missed uh, Little Brothers, that was first week. And if you missed Big Brothers, that was last week. I highly recommend that you go to coastbible.org. You can uh, get a link there to our YouTube channel. Um, or you can get just audio of the sermon so that uh, you don't miss anything because it's such a rich text. And there's so much going on it. So let's, uh, for the third time, let's, let's read through uh, the, the, the good father. Not the prodigal son, but the good father. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father divided his estate between the uh, little brother and the big brother. Soon afterward, uh, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. We mentioned this. Is, he's going to pagan Gentile lands, which would have been very offensive. Um, not only has he left his family and wished his father dead, but now he's gone off to um, a faraway place where he is able to waste his wealth through extravagant living. And extravagant living there is code for... Um, Hard partying like Led Zeppelin did in the 70s. Uh, when he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in the country. He began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And again, pigs, very offensive. Uh, Jewish people weren't supposed to be uh, touching or near pigs at that time. So he's now at the very bottom. He's rock bottom below uh, even the pigs, which uh, are, are, are anathema to Jewish people. Um, he longed to eat his fill uh, from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I'll get up and I'll go to my father, my good father, and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your laborers. So he got up and went to his dad. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And just before he asks to become a hired laborer, his father interrupts and says to the servants, Hey, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must, we must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Um, the big brother is missing the party. He's, he's out in the field. The older son is in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house, heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. And big brother is super happy about this. No, he's furious and didn't want to enter in. His father comes out and begs him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours, of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, uh, when he returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, your brother, was dead and is alive. He is lost. He was lost and is found. 
Now we've looked, uh, it, we've looked deeply at, at little brothers and big brothers, and there's a sense in which I think Jesus kind of, uh, kind of feels, uh, kind of, kind of thinks that, that we as people tend to be little brothery or big brothery. But what we should really become is good fathery. And so I want to, I want to, to pick in the text a little bit to see about the nature and character of the father. So first let's look at this. Uh, his father, uh, divided his estate between the brothers. Now, if, I mean, I'm not rich, but if I were, and I had two kids and one of them came to me and said, I want you to sell off half your land or mortgage it out and give me all the money because I don't like you anymore. I would say no. I would be like, <laughs> you can go pound sands is what you can do. Uh, I, I'm the boss here. You can wait till I'm dead. Thank you very much. But that's not what the good father does. That's, that's kind of odd, right? And then uh, take a look at this. The, that's little brother. Little brother does that, and, and, and the father says that to him. This is what the older big brother was. He was out in the fields. Um, and we looked last week, we saw that he was acting like a hired, like a servant, like a hired hand. He wasn't acting like a son. Right? He doesn't have to be out there, but big brother wants to earn his place, so he wants to achieve, he wants to have honor, and so he's working his butt off. But the father never told him to do that. Right? Uh, we know that the father has workers. What, I mean, what, why, is, what, why, is the, why is the son doing that? Well, I, I came across a, a horrifying photo, um, very, very shocking, um, and I'd like you to take a look. You may be a little uncomfortable when you see it, but just go with me. It's, it's, it's important for, for what we're doing. So, Marilyn, could you pull this up? Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, I know. Um, I know we're all feeling the same way. We want to find this, this dad and just beat him up for, um, for making his kids ride their bikes without a helmet. Uh, yeah. Um, this is in the Netherlands. Uh, in the Netherlands, they don't have bicycle helmet laws. Uh, it's a horrible land filled with barbarians, as you can tell. Um, I'm just kidding. I think helmets are stupid. I was, I grew up in the 80s, man. I didn't wear a helmet. I, and I even heard, I've heard, uh, this may be, may not be true, but I've heard that even back farther, and some, some of you old people might know this, have, have seen this, but I, I heard that cars, uh, didn't even have seat belts. And it wasn't, it was legal to not wear one. <laughs> what, I'm so glad we've advanced past our, our old barbaric ways. Um, because, you know, the, the thing is, like, safety is the most important thing, right? Isn't it? I mean, we should, we, honestly, I don't even know why you're here. We should all just be living in a bubble at home. We could do the Zoom thing like we did during the pandemic. It's dangerous out there! But that's the cost of being free. As a country, as a nation, we're, we're constantly balancing, and really most of the countries in the West are doing this, trying to balance um, freedom and liberty uh, with safety. We obviously went through the pandemic. It was a very big clash um, between the people who said freedom and the people who said safety. Well, the good father, he, he, he divides his estate 
and gives it to his son. He allows his, his, his older son to just go act, live like a, like a hired hand. He allows him, he gives him the freedom to do it. Why? Why? Because he wants, the good father wants them to love him for him. He doesn't want to have to hold over, you know, his estate or his positions. Or, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to say, you know what, little man, if you want to go and waste your money and, and, and possibly die, feel free. But I hope, I hope that you'll love me for me. Big brother, if you want to act like a servant and try to work your way into my affection, feel free. But it's not going to work. I already love you. You're already my son. You can't, there's no amount of work in the fields that's going to make me love you more. Certainly not less. So the good father, the first thing you're noticing here, uh, the good father gives us the freedom to rebel and try to save ourselves. And that's a very, very powerful thing. Um, on the one hand, some of us, uh, especially some of our young people, uh, we, we want to rebel. We want to be like, I'm out of here. This place is uh, it's boring. You know, the, the, I, I know God is out there and he thinks that we should do things a certain way. But you know what? I know better. And there's other, others of us, maybe those of us who've, who've been in church. We're churchy people. We've been in church for a long time. And, and honestly, we're, we're doing pretty good. And we're working hard and showing God what it's like to be a good person. Now, God doesn't want either of those things, but he's giving us the freedom to try. Why? Let's get closer to the heart of the Father. Let's uh, take a look at this text. I will get up and go to my Father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Little brother hits rock bottom. He hits rock bottom, and then he's like, once you hit rock bottom, that's when you get shaken to your senses. Um, and some of you probably, some of us probably have at one point or, in, or another in our lives hit rock bottom. We've gone to a place where like, I can't do it on my own. Dad, I would rather just work for you than, than, than be where I'm at. God, I just hope that you'll, you won't deny me, right? Then on the other hand, we, uh, we have the bigger brother who's like, I did everything. Uh, the next slide, Marilyn. Uh, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed your teaching. There's a lot of us who are probably in that, like religious people, we tend to be like this. We tend to be rule followers. We tend to be, uh, we try to at least look like we're doing well and, and, and having a good, good life and we're following God. And so the father, the father embraces the younger son who's hit rock bottom and he gives a challenge to the older brother. And we don't know if big brother made the right choice. The right choice is to go in and party with, uh, with the family, right? That's what he's supposed to do. We don't know if he did it. In context, Jesus is probably, the, the people who are listening to Jesus are probably hearing Pharisee or religious elites when they, when they talk about big brother. That's probably what they think. Uh, Jesus is talking about. And, and what they, what the, the, the implication is, is these people who are super religious, super hardcore, they have a really, really hard time with losers. And the key is for them to get in the mix and, and rub elbows and become family to these losers and failures. But the question is, will they? Strange thing happened to me. Um, I, uh, I have a friend who uh, is going through some stuff and and he, uh, he called me up and he asked me, he said, Tom, 
what's my sin? What's, where are my blind spots? Now, this is shocking to me. No one ever asks me this. People come to me with, uh, you know, if there's bad things going on, I, we, we hang out, we talk. Uh, when great things happen, I get to be a part of that, which is awesome. But no one, I don't think anyone has ever asked me, what, what's, what's wrong with me? There's a reason for that. It's because we, uh, as, as people, we don't want to find out. We want to believe that we're great. We, we don't want uh, someone who knows us very well, like a, a friend or a spouse or a parent, to, to cut right through and be like, no, this is who you really are. So my commitment is this week, Aaron... I am going to ask you at some point, what's my blind spot? And I hope that you lie to me and just tell me that I'm great. That's, that's the goal here. You've got a list. Awesome. It's great. It's good to, it's good, it's good to keep record of all the things that we've done wrong to each other. So high quality. <laughs> But that is not what the big brother needs, right? Um, the, the little brother gets to a point where he's like, I'm repenting because I, I know I've done wrong. I'm a, I mean, the, he's, he's, he's checked all the, the, the boxes off of all the things that you can do wrong. He's done them. He knows it's big brother who has a hard time with repentance. And maybe it's us, the churchy folk. Who have the hard time with repentance. That's the next thing you're no cheats. The good father wants repentance from everyone, especially those who don't know they need it. He wants us, he wants us to come before him and recognize that his glory, his majesty is so great that, that no matter what we are, we are, we're unclean before him. Even if we do follow all the rules and, and try to live life right, we're still in desperate need of turning. And we may not even be aware of what we got to do. And this gets us to the heart of the good father. This is why uh, the good father gives us freedom. This is why he desires repentance. It's because of who he is in his heart. Look at this. This is probably the, the most important piece of the text. While he was still long, while the little brother was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. That word uh, compassion uh, in Greek, it's based off of the word splagnon, which is one of my favorite Greek words. It means guts. Uh, it literally means entrails. So the stuff that if I, that would fall out, that's what is, that's splanchnon. Okay? In, in, it, we can kind of get this when uh, we, we say, uh, like, if I got punched in the guts when she, when she broke up with me. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a metaphor that we kind of even use. I got punched in the guts uh, when she dumped me because it, it, it gets to the way that we feel. There's this, like, this, this gutsiness to um, our emotions. And that's, in, in, in Greek, that's how you express uh, your, your uh, compa- compassion. You see something that's horrible, and it hits you right in the guts. It gets you deep inside. And it's interesting that Jesus adds this detail, right? He's still a long way off, right? The little brother is far away. The, the, the implication is, is, that, is that the father is maybe 
looking, maybe as a practice of looking out across the land, hoping that someday his boy will come back. And as soon as his father sees him, what does he see? He sees a kid with no shoes, bedraggled. He sees his son starving. He's very thin and he's weak. He's probably stumbling. And as soon as the father sees that, he just, it gets him in the guts. You may not know this. Uh, the last time they were surveyed, 86% of wives said that they regularly feel insecure uh, about their husband's love. This, is, this doesn't make sense to us guys because we're, we're like, well, I obviously love you. I'm here, right? Like I showed up, you know. That's just how we think, man. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's how we are in general. Doug's not like that. Doug, Doug, Doug is flipped. Jen, uh, our worship pastor, uh, his wife is totally secure in Doug's love. Doug's the one who needs her to, to show affection or he's gonna, he's gonna. So it's, it's, it, this is just, it's in general. It's not, not sexist here. Um, but it is true. 86% of women regularly feel insecure in their husband's love. 82%, um, say that they feel unappreciated. So statistically speaking, almost every woman here who is either in a loving relationship or a marriage feels or has felt regularly not sure um, that their husband loves them. And has also felt uh, like, I'm doing all of this and you don't even notice. Especially uh, the stay-at-home moms. Uh, stay-at-home moms, 52% say that um, they, that the, the man needs to engage a little bit more. Needs to, needs to work on the house. You know, do some laundry. What this means is that we have an epidemic in our culture of people who are going through their lives not feeling seen. Not knowing who loves them. The Father's heart is like this. He's peering out constantly, waiting, waiting, and waiting to see you. To see you for who you are. Yeah, broken, a mess. And when when he sees you that way, it just, it gets him right in the guts. And the only thing that he can think about is how he can come and embrace you and love you and bring you back. You know, in, in marriage, uh, you know, the romance, the romance uh, eventually, you know, it gets, it gets, you have to be intentional about it, right? Because at the beginning, um, you know, it's like, oh boy, this is fun. I like girls, you know. But then after a while, it's like, well, you get into a rut, right? We have, we get into a rhythm of life. And, uh, and, and as a result, as a result, sometimes Aaron doesn't get seen. But Aaron, the good father, always sees you. 
in the way that I should. And the good father is always ready to forgive and to bring you home. It's the last thing in your note sheets. The good father sees you. It doesn't matter who you are, you're seen. Now, one of the things that, that we sang about, um, and Doug, I would super appreciate um, having reckless love uh, today, is because the, the depth of the Father's seeing us is infinite, and it never ends, right? It's absolutely committed. It's absolutely faithful. There's nothing you can do that can exhaust God's love for you. There's nothing you can do. There's no, no matter how far away you go, you will always be his child. Some people will tell you, that's not true. They'll tell you that if you, if you are bad enough, if you're horrible enough, then God gives up on you because you don't deserve it. But that's not true. You don't deserve it no matter how good you are. And so the father seeing you, he sees you as you are. He knows about the, the, the hookers and the blow. He gets it. He sees it. And yet at the same time, he right in his guts says, I love you. And you will always be my son or my daughter. And that brings up a couple of questions. I, I just want us to take this home as we, as we close out this series. The, the first thing is, God's given you this freedom. What, have you, what freedom have you taken that you've taken advantage of? We're a grace church, as Doug mentioned. One of the things that means we don't have a real culture of judgment around here. Uh, you know, there's some churches where it's like you have to do X, Y, and Z to be a good person. We're kind of like, eh. I mean, we do, we, have, we do have some standards, but we often, we're not, we don't get worked up about things like, you know, gambling and, and, and drinking and eating and dancing and stuff like that. We don't, that, that's not a stressor for us. But, but we would say that if you take your freedom too far, you might end up needing to go to rock bottom or you might end up turning life into a contest to see who it can be righteous enough to, to earn God's, God's love. If either one of those things are happening, you need to stop that and repent. Which brings up the next question. When was the last time you actually repented to, to God? And I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me here. I, I'm super comfortable in God's grace. And so I don't sit around thinking about the things I need to change my heart about very often. And the next question, this is where we get at it. Do you know that God sees you? Do you know how deeply he loves you? Because that is the standard by which every other relationship in your life should be measured. The, the lovingness of God is, is that it sets the standard. It says, that's what, that's what love is. It's that, it's the, the good father love. It's the embracing love. And, and if, and if we're not up to that standard, we gotta work on it, which brings up the next question. Do you see her, him, them? And do you see them in your guts? Brothers and sisters, we are called to be not like the prodigal son, not like the big brother. We're called to be like the good father. And that means that we have a mission to see the people around us. Our spouses, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, our family. 
And to see them in a way that it hurts when they hurt. To see them in a way, and you, you can try to distance yourself. That's not the good father love. It, it's so that when, when, when Aaron suffers, if I'm not suffering too, I'm not good fathering. I have a, a the Rembrandt um, in the 1600s painted this, uh, this image of the good father receiving uh, the prodigal son. It's, it's, it's so, it's a beautiful painting. Um, one of the things that's glorious about it is that the son is on his knees. Um, the, the son, the son has, has been reduced to nothing. And it's in that moment that the father receives him the most. And the father's sitting there, you know, he's crying, he's hugging him, he's kissing him. And, and then, uh, you know, big brother off to the side. And God's hoping that someday big brother too will drop to his knees and say, I need you. I just want you to be my dad. And that brings up the last question. Are you ready for God's open arms? Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never said in your heart, God, you're the one who gives life. You're the one who forgives in Jesus' name. God, I want that freedom. I want that forgiveness. Jesus, you've, you've paid it. I want your open arms, God. Maybe you've never done that. If you have, today's your day. That's what becoming a Christian is. But it's also for us Christians, those who've already believed, we also need to come to a place where we receive, we're ready to be received by God's open arms, where we admit and confess, this has gotten out of control. And I need you to forgive me, God. And so as I pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in that. And uh, if, if you've never believed before today, come tell me. I would love to, and love to baptize you. And we can talk about that next week. Um, but but if, you, if, if this is, you know, you've, you've been doing the Christian thing for a long time, maybe, maybe this is a moment where you can uh, look inside and say, this, this needs to stop. And God, I need your forgiveness, and I need your mercy. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you that you see us. You don't just look past us. You don't miss us. But you see us in our deepest, darkest, most broken way. And and in that, you just pour out compassion. Let your guts tremble as you think about how much you love us. And God, we come to you, a lot of us... um, we're, we're at the bottom and we need your life because our life is dead. It's, it's not the life that we are living is a dead end and only your eternal life uh, can save us and bring us to where we need to be. And, and God, uh, for those of us who are in that place, we say, Lord, give us your life. The life that, that Jesus paid for on the cross um, that gives us forgiveness and hope. For some of us, God, we've, uh, we've, we've, been, we've been big brothers. We've been following the rules and doing everything right. Um, 
And yet we need to, to learn how to, to celebrate uh, with little brothers. And we need to, um, we need to humble ourselves. We need your love too. We need to confess and repent to you. So for those of us, God, we say, today is the day. We're laying it at your feet. We're asking for your open arms to, to hold us and embrace us and love us. In all things, God, we worship you for your love. We worship you, that you because you see us when no one else does. We worship you because you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen.